0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Elwood Jones, from the Dipsy DVD Help. And of course joining me from Guido Ramblings and Eastern Kicks is my co-host and partner in crime, Mr. Stephen Palmer.
1: Hello everybody. Thanks for having me back, Elwood.
0: Um, Tonight we are obviously celebrating Halloween and we are taking a break from our usual scheduling by doing something a little bit different. Tonight we are going to be holding our Asian Horror Film Draft. And joining us, of course, because who better person could there be if we're talking about Asian horror uh, than our guest tonight? So, of course, it gives me great pleasure to welcome from the host, well, the owner and proprietor of Zobo with Shotgun. It, of course, gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show Zoe Rose-Smith. So uh, welcome to the show, Zoe.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me once again to talk about everything messed up. (laughs) (laughs) I've had to say, because obviously... The
0: area of expertise, shall we say for yourself, is kind of unique in the fact that you tend to specialize in more dark and macabre and quite occasionally disgusting elements of cinema. Um, and it's obviously been one of those areas which obviously first led to us connecting the first time because you were obviously talking about like the Ebola syndrome and Dharma and these really <laughs> bizarre category free Asian cinema films. I mean, what is it about Asian horror that appeals to yourself, Sorry,
2: I think for me, I mean, for me, Asian horror kind of has two sides. It, First of all, it's the paranormal side. Um, and I'm sure we can talk a lot more about that. Uh, but, I mean, I first got into Asian cinema when I watched Juon, on uh, And that was, and still to this day, I will not watch that because it terrified me more than anything's ever terrified me. And then obviously I kind of ventured into watching a lot more Asian horror. And I I think the greatest thing is they kind of, they have no boundaries. Boundaries don't exist. And you know, if you watch a film like Tokyo Gore Police, it's ridiculous, but it's also amazing. And I think for me, that's that's the greatest thing about Asian uh, horror films in particular. There's just not a boundary. They push it. They push you to your extreme. And as you said, I love all things macabre. I love everything that goes slightly across the line, uh, and that's why I love it so much.
0: Okay, and I mean, obviously, your site's were with shotgun. And what was the sort of the inspiration really for setting out on this journey just to discover these weird and quite grotesque films that most people tend to avoid, or if they do watch them it's sort of like that one that one film and then they do like a big block of something a little more safe should we say but,
2: i think um... I, I i kind of i mean it's continuing now maybe it's not so heavy now purely because of time issues and you know working a lot etc but there came to a point in my life where i was almost obsessed with searching for kind of the most disturbing extreme the nastiest thing that could be made in film that wasn't real so what a lot of people don't actually know about me is I'm I'm very very squeamish when it comes to real life uh blood and things I I I pass out at blood tests if I cut myself I will pass out hands down but when it comes to film it doesn't affect me at all. And I watched a lot of horror films and, you know, they had a lot of gore. There was, you know, you've kind of got like your torture porn. You've got, I mean, I rewatched Hostel recently actually and it's, it's quite tame considering. But, you know, you've got those kinds of films that, you know, uh, focus a lot on different kind of ways to kill someone, to torture someone. And then I I just got obsessed with looking at these films that went so far that it was you know very realistic the effects were so real that even though you know it's not real it kind of blurs the line and when i was at university i also did my dissertation um on kind of desensitization through watching horror films you know and i i did a study of i think i interviewed 200 people in the end and it seemed that You know, the more horror films you watched from a younger age, you were desensitized to seeing these types of violence. So through that, I kind of became very focused on how how far can you push yourself to watch something that's so, so extreme with, you know, violence, sexual violence uh, that you that you wouldn't even have thought could exist you know you watch some of these films and they they do things that you're like wow i you know i watched many many horror films and i didn't think that would even be a way to torture someone or a way to show a death um and i think it was that for me kind of it's more like a psychological thing you know what can you push yourself to watch how far can you go before you say I need to stop watching this shit"? It's, it's, you know, going to mess with my mind. And so far I'm, I'm still on the journey. There's plenty of films I've got to watch. Um, and yeah, I just find it fascinating that, you know, movie makers can really portray something that's so, so nasty and would be hidden in the corner of, you know, the sickest serial killer yet we will still watch it because there's a there's something in the human psyche that kind of you know curiosity to watch something so nasty
0: yeah i mean it's funny obviously you're aversion to real life gore and and blood and it's actually a trait shared by yourself and stuart gordon the legendary horror filmmaker um who was actually well documented by his own wife as. <laughs> actually fainting on the set of dolls uh, when he decided he was going to have lunch with her and she was in full head crush makeup and uh, he had to go and step outside to have a quick breather because he got himself a little worked up over it so (laughs) but I mean Stephen obviously for yourself I mean when it comes to the gore and violence obviously Asian cinema has for a large extent been associated with these things thanks to the likes of Ishe the Killer um, where do you obviously stand in it when it comes to like the gore and violence? I mean, do you prefer to see it in Asian horror or do you prefer something a little more subtle?
1: Well, I think Zoe and I are coming from a different place, <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. So, I, I, I've always loved horror movies, I've always, I've always loved the cult and the strange, but actually, what attracted me to Asian horror was probably actually some territories which weren't as graphic and gory um so whilst you have you know obviously there's the extreme cinema of japan and that's where i came in yeah i came in with like you say it the killer audition and things like that um and the cat three stuff from hong kong but actually what interests me more is, is and this is across the board and horror is just part of this is is, is the cultural differences you know um because you know asia is a big place and interested me to see horror films that were far more interested in tension and atmosphere and build up um there's a lot more ghost stories and things like that things that sort of chill me rather than in your face gore it's there for sure but my my interest is more in the is in how it is different to western horror
0: yeah i feel certainly when we compare it to western horror certainly when you look at asian horror in general there is always a reason for the ghost or the monster being there whereas western horror it just tends to be oh it's just there and there's normally some throwaway reason but there's only when we look at the asian uh horror films especially things such as like dark water uh ring there's always that deep-seated reason for the apparition the focus of the film being there to begin with and i think we have actually seen it with some of the later asian horrors that they've fallen into this trap that the western horror has have where everything needs to be over explained and certainly going back to dot Water, we found it at the end of that film the last 15 minutes could have been cut out because it basically explained what we'd already been told already um indeed yeah
1: so well it just, it just obviously it's coming from a different place so a lot of our the the asian religions and you know are based a lot in animism and shamanism and things like that in the past and buddhism of course so and they have a different relationship with subjects such as death than we, maybe we do in the west over so in the west it's something to be feared that, that the people who are dead are, are often feared was in the east you know that they, they, they there are festivals dedicated to the people who have long gone um so so there, there's this sort of culture clash which i find fascinating
0: and i mean does do either you have like directors you sort of tend to gravitate towards within Asian horror, or do you take it more on a title by tale basis? I mean, for yourself, sorry. I mean, do you have a preference over how you seek out your Asian horror?
2: I I mean personally, a, a lot of the you know films I watch are recommendations. Um, you know, I have a lot of people that know the kind of films that I like, and I tend to. I go I go based a lot on recommendations. I mean, I always say this, but the first place I go to is the people that I follow on Twitter. I follow people that have very similar tastes to me because I kind of you know it's like that word of mouth thing so i I will genuinely believe sometimes they're wrong, <laughs> of course, but most of the time a lot of those people you know they're they're into the same thing, so I ask them i'm not. Like, honestly, I'm not someone that because I always feel like directors, they tend to, you know, once you find a good one, they tend to do, you know, kind of similar things that tend to be on the same scale. They're very good. But oftentimes I always feel like if I follow one, I'll become tired of what they do because you can kind of see the same things within each of their works. And then I'm like, oh, you know, and everything blurs into one. So I I try to find a lot of my films as well, just based off my own research. I mean, I I love reading. And as a writer, I love reading other people's written recommendations, written reviews. Um, So I like to do research and kind of go based on trying to find, you know, lots of different things rather than sticking to the one person. That's my personal thing and i mean i do that for all genres i like to just kind of see what i like the look of um because i also feel sometimes if you go based on you know like actors or directors you might miss something that's really good because you've gone oh, i'm gonna watch this instead or as well you know there might be a director you love and then you watch one of their films and you don't particularly like that one and then you know you skip over other ones because it's like ah. I wasn't sure what, you know, what they did in this. I mean, I know it's kind of for film. That is one of the things you kind of go based on previous works and and stuff. But I do feel like a lot of directors, uh, you know, they can have something that's amazing and then they can have something that's really shit. And then also at the same time, they often will tend to use the same kind of, you know, gimmicks in every single film. And then you, you end up tired of what they've done. Um, so I, I, I personally, for me, it's recommendations, friend recommendations, and Twitter is a great place for that.
0: Um, same question, Stephen, for yourself.
1: Um, I probably feel very similar to Zoe. Um, I, I do have directors I love, but not necessarily that operate in the in the horror genre. Um, some of the films I've chosen tonight come from quite famous directors, but I wouldn't say that they are actually horror, horror spe- specific, the only, th- th- there's a couple um, that I will go to, so there's a there's a Thai pair, and um, tonight's going to be, instead of two white guys um, butcheration names, it's going to be two white guys and a white female butcheration names, isn't it, so I'm going to go for it, so they're by um, Banjong Pistanthakan and Park Poom Park Wong Poom who made um, The Shutter, and alone, and the Phobia films from Thailand. I, I, I do, I do hunt out what they do. Um, other than that, though, you know, i obviously, you know, you and I are, are both on record about Takashi Miike and Sion Sono and people like that. If they if they put out a horror film, but it's not because it's a horror film, just because <laughs> it's one of their just because it's one of their films, you know.
0: <laughs> I think, I'd, yeah, yeah, I think you you nailed it around the head there. And the fact is that a lot of Asian horror sort of stumbled into because it's what's happened to be coming out at the time. I mean, certainly when we had the revival of interest in, Asia, in Asian cinema as a whole, it was the Asian horror films which were leading that charge because if you remember, as we've mentioned numerous times on the show, it was Ringu, Battle Royale, and Audition, um, and three films, and they inadvertently sparked this huge boom in J-horror especially. Um, and I think because of... The labels and the way they were releasing things. I think I've gone through sort of periods with different directors so obviously starting off with like Takashi uh, with like Audition and Dead or Alive and uh, later Ishia the Killer. Uh, also had people like uh, Shinsei Tsukamoto who obviously gave us Tetsuo, uh, Snake of June and recently uh, Tsukamoto has really become into vogue because Quentin Tarantino has apparently discovered him or just mentioned him in passing, so everyone's raving about his work, so uh, it's kind of interesting to see him, and then obviously as we've seen more of an interest in writing Korean cinema, people like Park Chan-wook, in particular like his Vengeance Trilogy and it's been interesting as we've obviously seen more titles coming across, um, especially seeing more of the extreme titles, just the wide range of genres that Asian horror tends to cover, it's not just so clearly defined as like Western horror, even though you can obviously like break it down to like the two categories. You can have like your traditional ghost stories, like the long haired ghosts, uh, or you can have like the more disjointed, non linear, more ambitious stuff like uh, MPD Psycho, Pulse, um, those sorts of movies. And like again, just bring back Tetsuo, which is only an hour, but it's probably one of the most random, most bizarre hours of filmmaking you will have. <laughs> the delight or horror of watching, depending on what viewpoint you're approaching it from. Um, But no, I think there's always something new with Asian horror, which is something I haven't found with Western horror. Western horror seems to be very trend-driven. It's sort of like whatever's hot at the time, where Asian horror just always seems to be, well, this would be interesting to shoot. Why don't we go and have a look at this? So, So, I mean, have either of you sort of found... Uh, your sort of like limit when you're watching these sort of films that you sort of like thought oh, okay I may have perhaps overstood over like stepped my line um, <laughs> Zoe I don't think it's going to be so much the case for yourself because I think you said you're still trying to find your line but I mean have you sort of hit that point where you think oh I may have gone a little too far this time
2: I think the, the furthest I went and I'm I'm sure I've mentioned this film once or twice before yeah um is as you know tumbling doll of flesh for for me that's kind of the the furthest i've ventured and i still think i can go further it didn't it did kind of i mean (laughs) when i was it's it's a tough watch i took a couple of breaks from it because i was like wow you know do i need to reconsider my life and the things that I'm doing with my life uh, when I'm watching stuff like this on my own in my bedroom. But yeah, that, that was kind of as, as far as it goes now, that was kind of my line. But I I think, I think the reason for that is, is because it also incorporates kind of the sexual aspect, which I mean, it's heavily sexual violence in, you know, some ways that like I was saying earlier that I, I, you know, I would have never thought of. Uh, I never thought that you could, you know, have sex with uh, a chopped off leg, the whole of it, whatever it is. Um, That was not something that would have ever crossed my mind ever before I watched that film. However, because because I can differentiate between the reality and the non-reality, I think I'm still willing to go... You know further and find other things i mean it's not this is not asian cinema um but you know i've been reading 120 days of sodom uh which it has taken me I'm, I'm maybe about three quarters through but i've been reading that for over two years now and that's just a book. That's not even a film. And that pushes a line for me where I'm sometimes I'm very uncomfortable reading that book so much so that I, I put it away for months on end. So, I mean, I think I would love to find a film that pushes me to that point where I go, I'm actually going to probably go and watch a Disney movie and continue on a Disney theme for the next six months because I need to cleanse myself. <laughs> um but yeah, in terms of film, it's definitely Tumbling Dull of Flesh. And if I mention to anyone that I've watched that there, you know, I just kind of have to give a very short synopsis. And they're like, ah, OK, I, I, I see what you're watching now. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, and Stephen, have you have you found your limit yet with Asian horror? You, uh, are you do you have like this advantage of obviously working within the field that you kind of have prior warning going into films what to expect?
1: I feel like I need a shower just reading the wiki page of Tumbling Dollar <laughs> Flesh right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I I don't know... I, I don't know if I've found a limit. Um, the, the, my problem is, possibly, is I don't get as scared as I used to, and I miss that. Um, you sort of start watching things with a critical eye, and you... And you it's it's very rare that I feel lost or totally caught up in something for either the, the physical or the emotional or the psychological horror to really scare me. And which is what tonight as I think the, some of the films I've picked, the reason I have is because they have scared me rather than repulsed me.
0: Cool. Um... We're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we return, though, we're going to be diving headfirst into our draft this evening. Um, But until in the meantime, here's a quick word from one of our fellow podcasters.
1: In a world where podcasts already seem to address every imaginable subject, one man broke new ground with seemingly random obsession about exploding helicopters in movies. He was a podcaster on the edge, a Maverick broadcaster who played by his own rules. Now he has a last chance to talk about the strange way helicopters explode in film. Exploding helicopter available on iTunes and Podomatic now. Think you know about chopper fireballs. Think again.
0: And we're back. Uh, still listening to the Asian cinema film club. This is of course is our Asian horror film draft. Um, of course, joining me as always is my co-host Stephen Palmer. Hello. And uh, we of course are still joined by our special guest this evening, Zoe Rose Smith from Zobo with Shotgun. Hello. Um if you obviously want to get involved and um leave us some feedback, let us know your fair rotation horror, please do. Uh, we now have got the Twitter feed that is open, which is at AC Film Club. You can also drop us an email, which is acfilmclub at yahoo.com. Uh, As well, we now have our own iTunes and Podomatic feeds, so if you're on iTunes, look up Asian Cinema Film Club and hit that subscribe. You know, maybe leave us a review or a nice star rating. And on Podomatic as well, uh, we also have our own dedicated feed on there, as we're, you know, we're moving forward. We're making the show less of a secondary show, more of its own thing, because we feel that everyone's been really behind the show since we launched it and you know we wanted to make it a more of a dedicated show rather than just tacking it on the mbds feed so uh we're moving forward we've got some exciting things coming up and we uh i like to say thank you to everyone who's obviously supported the show so far and uh hope you continue to do so in the coming episodes but obviously back to tonight's show we are doing a draft of asian horror um the order of our draftees this evening we're going to of course go ladies first so zoe will be kicking us off it will then go to steven and finally to myself and we will go around the table until we've all named our five um so zoe um what do you want to kick off with
2: i'm gonna kick off with and according to the internet which often lies it's not a horror film but i think most would disagree with that so my first choice is battle royale damn it (laughs) (laughs) i was more than certain that someone would have that
0: (laughs) yeah battle royale uh absolutely astounding pick it's one of those films that people who don't like subtitle movies love this movie my brother being a prime example and it's (laughs) never been dubbed it's always been a subtitled movie yet people absolutely adore this movie
2: it's it's just a great movie i mean um oh my gosh my fire alarm is going off give me one second no worries. i apologize about that. <laughs> yeah it's all kicking off here um Yeah, so as I was saying, Battle Battle Royale is just an amazing movie. The first time I ever watched it was with my dad, um, who is the person that got me into horror films. And at that point, when I first watched it, I I hadn't really watched that many Asian horror films, except for um, kind of supernatural ones. Uh, And I watched this, and I was like, wow. I think I was at school at the time as well. Uh, which made it even better, because I was like, I wish this would happen at my school. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just an amazing film. I I wrote a piece many, many, many years ago, maybe six years ago, about how I thought the Hunger Games had totally uh, tried to rip off Battle Royale, Uh and that someone out there had, had, you know, watched Battle Royale, seen how well it had done. Like you said, it's never been dubbed or anything. So they went ahead and made an unconnected American remake in a sense. Um, but Battle Royale is great. Uh, I would urge anyone that hasn't seen it to go and watch it because it's, it's super fun. Very fun.
0: Yeah, um, great opening pick there. Suzanne Collins, who wrote The Hunger Games, actually went on record to claim that she had never heard nor seen a Battle Royale. That's right, she's okay. never heard of the most popular, well-known Asian horror movie of all time. Um, but Stephen, I mean, do, I mean, do I even have to ask if you're a fan of Battle Royale? Well,
1: I'm not just a fan of Battle Royale, the movie, but the novel it is based on is well worth hunting down as well. It, it, it's actually better than the film um some of the sort of background of the of the kids is is explored a little more and the world the world's created a little more but yes of course it's a bloody horror film it's kids killing kids in occasionally grotesque ways and again the novel has got i think zoe would like it actually there's some (laughs) there's some some hardcore stuff there um and i think that's i think it's something that maybe i think you and i were sort of debating earlier this week was what constitutes a horror film um and i think anything that unsettles you really and therefore battle royale is it was it was one of my also ran so i think we were all picks in some way shape or form didn't we
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i mean kinji uh, Fukusaku. He's, he's an absolutely fantastic director even outside this film, even though I think for a lot of people this was his most well-known film. He did the Japanese sections for Tora Tora Tora. Um, he also did the Battles Without Honor and Humanity saga, which if you didn't pick it up from Arrow, they will now happily charge you an absolute fortune to go and pick it up now. And people say that the Battle Royale 2 isn't as good, and they often try to compare this this the two films but i think battle royale 2 even though he didn't finish it it was actually finished by his son um that it's still a worthy sequel as well even though battle royale whether you're reading it as a book or the manga or just watching the fantastic film version it's fantastic whatever way you watch it so uh yeah sorry fantastic pick for your opening there um over to steven how do you want to open your draft
1: Okay, I, I feel I'm going for a bit of an obvious choice as well, but maybe not. So I'm going to pick Kim ji woons "A Tale of Two Sisters," which yeah. is which is a Korean. I uh, uh, say Wikipedia calls it a psychological horror thriller drama, which seems to be hedging its bets a bit, but it's it it is it absolutely it's it's one of the most beautiful looking horror films you'll ever see. Um, it's actually based on a on an ancient Korean fairy tale, and had been filmed many times before. But as Kim Ji Woon tends to do, he, he he sort of takes tropes and, and styles and, and genres of cinema and puts his own little blend on it. It's brilliantly acted. It looks brilliant. Um, it's disturbing rather than scary. It's got two fantastic central performances by. Um, Im Soo-young and, and Moon-gyun-young and um it, it's also one of those sort of early tartan releases and so it's sort of one of my early entries into the genre but and showed me how beautiful a, a scary film could be
0: yeah tell two sisters uh totally agree with yourself it kind of opened the door for korean cinema as a whole and obviously led to many fantastic directors coming across on the backs of and obviously choosing to back uh korean cinema that and certainly choosing this as one of their opening picks i mean so have you seen tell two sisters
2: yes i have um it was when i i went on a h and splurge at one point never heard of it and bought a tale of two sisters and I watched it and completely agree with you Stephen it's uh it's beautiful I mean like you said it's often hard to think that a horror film would be beautiful but this yeah. this film really is and I think the the story as well it, it kind of has an element of everything you know it is horrible it also has that it's it's very sad in many ways as well um and and like you said it's you know it's a ghost story it kind of encompasses everything that you know uh great asian cinema does when it comes to horror and kind of ghost stories so yeah I, i love this film i think there's also actually i think i also saw that they did an american remake of it
1: avoid avoid
2: yeah i was like i'm not gonna watch that it's
1: it's it's called the uninvited and it's dreadful
2: yes
0: (laughs) well for my opening pick i'm going to go with the animated psychological thriller from satoshi khan uh which is perfect blue um perfect blue if you're not familiar with it is probably one of the top five essential animes of all time i would rank it up there with the likes of akira and ghost in the shell um not only is one of my favorites but just an absolute must see i mean satsuki khan as a director i feel that he is yet to make well it may he was yet to make any film that i didn't particularly like or have some sort of reaction to it i mean it's only the sad of the fact he died at 46 from cancer uh, making it all the more sadder whenever you watch one of his films to know that it's just another one off the list that there is going to be no more films and you can see when you look at the likes of Perfect Blue uh, like it, or his series Paranoid Agent which is very reminiscent of Twin Peaks uh, or if you perhaps look at something like Paprika which served as a key inspiration for the likes of Inspiration for Inception his work uh, has clearly proven this big inspiration. You can see it in various uh, various forms. And I think when people qu- say talk about anime and they say, oh, it's just like violence and big boob schoolgirls and fan service, I'd say watch Perfect Blue and it would completely change the way you look at anime and the way that stories are certainly told within the animated style. So, uh, yeah, Perfect Blue would be my opening pick.
1: Well... I got to agree with you. You know I'm not a huge anime fan as we've talked about many times, but Perfect Blue absolutely it's one of the sort of four pillars of anime for me. Um again, psychological thriller horror um and also one of the few films that I actually think would justify a live action remake because i think it's its story of, of of stardom and stalkers and so on is is just as valid today as it was when it was made it must be about 20 years ago now
0: yeah because i mean this was 97 so yeah 20 years so um Zoe, i think i've i don't if do you say you haven't seen this one yet
2: no i haven't i um i've never had a good relationship with anime uh, but that's it's not just anime it's kind of cartoon things in general I, I have a hard time watching kind of animated things in just in general but um, based on your recommendation I'll, d- I'll definitely give it a watch maybe maybe it'll make me change my mind
0: <laughs> I'll, be inter- I will, I'll be interested to see what you make of it I think you'd like it because it's certainly got it's shocking moments in it um one of <laughs> there's a there's a um a scene in it where uh the this ex j-pop star who we obviously follow me when she's decided she's going to quit being a j-pop star and go into acting and she gets a role in this erotic thriller called double bind and she plays um a rape victim in a, a strip club scene and it's a scene i discussed with helen mccarthy who wrote the encyclopedia of um anime and I'm thinking I'm talking to this really nice lady in this really nice knitted jumper and we're here talking about what tentacles represent in demon (laughs) in demon anime so things like Legend of the Overfiend. and in particular she wanted to talk about this scene so um it was a very surreal afternoon but it certainly certainly sort of instilled in my mind just how good this film actually is uh perhaps more than I realised and it's certainly only grown better the more I've gone back to it so but, uh, yeah, that's my opening pick, Perfect Blue. Uh, back to Zoe. What are you going to go for pick two?
2: Okay, for my second pick, I think I'm going to go for Men Behind the Sun. Oh, God. <laughs> Another... One of the weird ones. One of the more extreme ones. <laughs> so, I actually... I would like to re-watch this because I watched this, um, I think I was speaking to you the other day about dubbed movies, uh, and I watched this dubbed, and has anyone seen The Mighty Boosh? Yeah. So, you know, uh, what's he called? The guy, when they're at the zoo, uh, he has the eagle and the big moustache. I think Right. So anyway, um, it's dubbed, and the main guy's voice sounds exactly similar to that guy's voice, which was a very, very, very strange experience. And me and my friends, we we thought it was, I mean, it made it quite hilarious considering what we were watching. Um, but anyway, back to the movie, that's, uh, that's kind of unrelated. Yeah, so uh, Men Behind the Sun, I... I did a bit of research and this again came up on my list of one of the you know kind of extreme disturbing ones and I I didn't think it would be that bad Um, and obviously it's based on kind of war atrocities and you know historical elements and I watched it and it is pretty horrific Uh, I mean I love it I think it's great obviously I wouldn't <laughs> it's not a film I would suggest to everyone to watch. I think it's probably more of a a niche kind of take in. but again it kind of it showcases that extreme element that I really like. Um and one of the scenes in it that I found actually the most horrific was uh the scene with the cat where if if you've seen it there's a cat and there's lots of rats and the rats are kind of eating the cat alive. And um, I think me and my friends thought that was, you know, that was quite a traumatizing moment. And we were all like, we, we're cat lovers. So we're watching that and we're like, oh, my God, is this, uh, you know, is it like cannibal holocaust? Is it real, et cetera? And I did some research and it turns out that apparently they just covered the cat in honey and the rats licked the honey off him. And that's why it looks like they're eating him. But, yeah, I think this film uh, really shows what can be done. I mean, it was it came out in 1988. Uh, and, at, you know, the at- effects for that time, special effects, are, are great. They are, you know, they are very horrific. And I think that shows kind of, you know, like almost uh, a labour of love at that time to go as far to show something so extreme and use effects that are for that time were amazing um so yeah for me i choose men <laughs> behind the sun
0: yes uh a round of family viewing there from zoe um <laughs> steven do I even ask if you've seen men behind the sun
1: i haven't seen it but i have heard of it actually so fun fact time um this was the film that created cap three ratings in hong kong <laughs> so because <laughs> even though it's about japanese atrocities it's actually a chinese film um she probably won't know from the dubbing <laughs> i imagine <laughs> but it sounds hideous um but then the actual historical events it was based on are pretty hideous so uh, yeah i don't think i'll be watching it zoe sorry <laughs> that's okay i understand
0: okay <laughs> Um, Stephen, where do you want to go <laughs> next?
1: Oh. <laughs> where does one go? No. Okay. So I'm going to now get uh, this is another film which um we could suggest isn't necessarily horror, but um it's by a director that you mentioned earlier, Elwood. This is Kotoko by Shinya Sakamoto, who like you say was uh is the, is the guy between, behind the Tetsuo films and Snake of June and things like that? And this is a 2011 film um, starring Coco, who was a sort of a really quite popular Japanese pop folk sort of star, i.e., she sings with a guitar rather than a thousand beats per minute music with helium. But um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the story of a young Japanese single mother. Who suffers from an un? We don't really get told what it is, but it's it's basically schizophrenia. And in Sakamoto manages, and he's, he draws upon actually Coco's own life, as she suffers from mental illness and depression and and such like, and and he just creates this audio and visual world which. Generates a, a feeling of empathy that you feel you know what it's like. Um, for example, when she sees people, she also sees like an evil twin of them, and as if they've got sort of violent intentions towards her. And it's just done so brilliantly with handheld digital camera work and this atonal score which appears. And the director himself actually appears later on as a, as a sort of a, a stalker that strikes up a relationship with her that lets. He lets her beat him up, beat him to a bloody pulp, just so we can have a relationship with her. Um, it, it's probably more of, a, sort of an indie psychological thriller. It's in the same vein as, say, Polanski's Repulsion or the Bjork film, what was it, um, Dancer in the Dark, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but I watched it again last night just to make sure it was it was for this podcast, really, and it absolutely is. It's 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 one of those films that really made me feel, and sometimes the scariest things are things that are going on in your own head yeah rather than ghosts and witches and zombies and mad scientists and things like that it's you know it's it's the it's the self and the and the failure of of understanding your surroundings and making sense of the world which could be pretty darn scary
2: cool um
0: yeah anyone else want to comment on that at all
2: no i haven't I haven't seen that one, but it sounds it sounds really really interesting. sounds uh, sounds like it sounds kind of similar to like a Asian version of the Babadook.
1: It, yes, but yes, but well, no, no, not necessarily better, but it, it's much more grounded in reality, although it isn't. But it's available on a UK DVD, so it and, and Blu Ray as well, I think, from Third Window. So it's something that is accessible by people quite quite easily without having to hunt the uh, depths of the internet
0: awesome um right for my next choice i'm going to go for another obvious one i think uh but if i didn't pick it i would sort of kick myself and that is takashi miike's audition um audition i think is like battle royale is become one of these asian horror films which is well known even to people out who wouldn't normally classify themselves as being fans of asian horror um The downside, of course, has been that the real kicker behind Audition has been given away and has now become the most well-known aspect of the film. Um, As such, I think this is Mike, uh, when he's released this film in 1999, is really working at the height of his powers um, as a director, especially for his outlaw period. And here he crafts a film which is quite different than a lot of the other films he's making in this particular period, like Dead or Alive, Rainy Dog, um, Shinjuku Triad Society. And we have this, obviously, this widowed producer who organizes a fake audition to try and find himself a partner. Um, And obviously said partner turns out to be an absolute psychotic, as I think we all know know already from just the reputation this film has um but i mean if you can see audition blind then all the better the least you know about audition going in the better um as this is a film which if you just saw like the vague trailer that tardin put out when they released this film then i would say that that's uh is the sort of noise you want to have with this film uh because it's a film which really pays off it's very slow burning but the actual payoff at the end is just absolutely fantastic and the slow descent into horror and even just like the slight tinges of madness as we get into like the third act uh, just make this such a standout film not only for Asian horror but for Takashi Miike as as well Um, but I mean guys what do you obviously make of Audition? Do you you fans?
2: Yes definitely (laughs) I um like you said I went into this film very blind I I'd, I'd seen it like I said through research uh, and found it but I I decided uh, I didn't want to know too much about it picked up a copy uh, in HMV and as you mentioned it, it's very slow burning and at first I was like mm, not sure this is I was like okay When's it going to get to anything? And then I remember one of the scenes with the the bag and whatever is in the bag. And at that point, that's when I realised that I, like you said, there was going to be a good payoff. And I always remember that scene. It was it just being so disturbing. I mean, it's so surreal and dreamlike. And so it's it kind of made me feel a bit sick. It's just really, really... Weird, just weird and disturbing, but yeah, audition is a great film, and like you said, definitely worth the payoff.
1: Stephen, well, obviously we've spoken about this for an hour before on a on an MDBS podcast, so you, you can all go over and find that on the feed somewhere. But yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a fan. Um, I'm a fan of Ryomiru Kamie's original novel as well which is actually what I think is most impressive I think this is Mikey's most controlled measured and most film like film Um, it it is a a, it's a slow burn takes a long way to go it's funny that the moment that Zoe talked about of course is in the blooming trailer and (laughs) ruins everything (laughs) but um, yeah it will it will stay with you you will remember this this is the film that I give to people to say this is the sort of film i watch and uh just to get the response back from them later so yeah it's easy, easy pick <laughs> yeah
0: and uh normally people have seen it all wanted to say those very key words don't they
1: tick ticka tick ticka ticka there we go <laughs>
0: um sorry what would you like for your third pick
2: so for my third pick I I had maybe like five different options um, <laughs> I, I really wanted to pick um, Pulse uh, but I, I spoke about that for a very long time on another podcast recently so I decided I, I wouldn't because I, I literally picked this film for basically everything because I love it so much but i wanted to go for something else and the other choice was going to be um on of course because of what i said earlier but again i've spoken about it many many times so i left that out so i i actually my next choice is dumplings um from 3 extremes because well as, as you can guess it's from 3 extremes it's extreme uh my favorite of course uh <laughs> And I love it because, again, it goes back to the pushing boundaries. And I think um, the concept of Dumplings, which is about a an older woman, uh, she performs kind of backstreet coat hanger abortions, if you will. And she makes dumplings from these abortions, which apparently keep you young, which sounds... Great, not the greatest way to go about it. Um, I think the kind of the entire concept of it is horrific uh, uh in the day, I work for a baby clothing company, so I can't mention that I would ever watch anything like this because it just becomes uh an issue, and I would probably be worried that I would lose my job I'm sure I would uh. But, yeah, I think it's i mean it's it's quite short for a for a film, and i I watched it with my friend, and he I didn't tell him anything about this movie whatsoever, and we started watching it, and he was just like, "Wow, what the fuck is this <laughs> um but yeah, I think it <clears throat> goes back to that aspect that it kind of pushes a boundary that I think a lot of other filmmakers a lot of other you know kind of countries are i mean maybe not so much anymore uh but maybe at this time are kind of afraid to do it's broaching an issue which is i mean abortion is an issue that's kind of you know debated uh, across the world whether it's right whether it's wrong you know, we won't get into personal things, but it's it's quite a controversial topic, to say the least. And then to make a film that's not only about abortion, but it's about doing that and then making dumplings, which is obviously a great delicacy when it's not made from dead children, uh, into a film is... it's uh, Yeah, it, it pushes that boundary out there. But that's why I love it. I, I think cinema was made to push personal boundaries and to kind of showcase these boundaries that maybe you shouldn't go there, but why the hell not? That's what filmmaking's about.
0: Yeah. Fruit Chan's uh, dumplings. It's a film, which again, myself and Sue, we've already discussed. And I think one of the things we talked about in particular in the episode uh, that we talked about, it was the sound design being one of the most disturbing elements of this film.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, hearing Miriam Young crunch down on those dumplings is is, is and especially on, and and they let the secret sequ- the secret out of the bag quite early on, isn't it? And and yeah, it's just yeah. horrible. Um, have you seen the longer version? The the, the the they they made a theatrical length version of it as well. Have you seen that?
2: No, I haven't. I watched it as the as three part ex- of three extremes. extremes. So
1: there's there's one that's it's about twice as long, and the ending's a little different and there's a there's more subplot with her husband um but yeah. that that's that's equally worth checking out um I, I i think we decided they both sort of stood alongside each other didn't we oh,
0: yeah i mean both cuts are as good as each other it's not their case of and it's not even like the case of like the the longer versions like the director's cut if you if you want they both have their own own way and when. I, I think they both stand on their own you can either have like the short version in three extremes which is a really fun grotesque little self-contained tale or you can have the longer version which obviously expands on certain characters and uh gives us i want to say it gives us a different ending as well i believe uh, it's
1: like slightly different yeah
0: um which makes it worthwhile but no i've dumbness is one of those unusual films in the fact that you can recommend both versions and neither versions inferior to the other um so yeah whether you watch his it, three extremes which obviously has the advantage of the fact you get uh the short films by park chan wook and takashi miike as well or you're watching his yes, own film um i don't think you can go wrong with either version certainly no, i uh,
1: totally agree totally agree
0: yeah um so I would never put you down to selling baby clothes? As... Yeah.
2: No, most people don't but yeah, I spend my daytimes you know talking to mums about babies and cute stuff.
0: <laughs> it's like, Well, you like babies, you should really watch Dumplings. <laughs> yeah, slip them slip,
1: <laughs> slip a copy of Men Behind the Sun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stephen, where do you want to go next? Well, I'm going to go... So I just want to say Pulse is one of my favourite films of all time and I didn't pick it either. So that it's lost two chances from the sounds of it to get on How here. How have
2: you done this?
1: <laughs> I know. I was, I, was trying, I was trying to get... I, but yeah, I've uh, totally... That, that, that's, that's for any other business. But yeah, absolutely brilliant. So I'm going to go for a film called Dream Home by um, director Pang Ho Chung who is one of my favourite Hong Kong directors um, this is quite a departure for him. Um, so if we just dribble back a bit in history, like we said the Cat 3 thing in Hong Kong where cinema actually in China across the board was un- is still in, in mainland China, uh, there, were- there was no rating system but Hong Kong because of certain films one of which we've already talked about um, set up a rating system and that's what's known as Category 3 and that set off a whole bunch of extreme films um, like the Ebola syndrome and even the Shaw brothers ended up in cat three land before, before they ended Um, when the, when, when, when Hong Kong got handed back over um, it was quite sad for Hong Kong cinema because all that, that, that extremeness that not just in horror, but in, in all sorts of cinema has been washed away. And Hong Kong cinema especially is, is quite muted these days. So actress Josie Ho um, formed a film company, 8, 852 Films, um, alongside some other people like Juno Mac. And um, in order to kind of recreate that golden age of Hong Kong cinema, um, it hasn't been an entirely successful experiment, but the first film they, they put out was a film called Dream Home. And Dream Home is the best Asian slasher film there is period i won't have an argument about it um it's about a young girl who is desperate to move into a dream home saving up all her money unfortunately um she gets involved in a chain she can't and they turn her down but she's so desperate to have this house she embarks on a rampage of murder and death just to get this house so it's 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 a great horror film includes a cock chopping if that if that appeals to anybody, that's 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 the level of gore we're talking about. But it also has a really serious social message about how hard it is to get a house in Hong Kong and the housing crisis that they have um, because it's Pang Ho Chung. It's fairly witty. It's got it's fairly satirical, but it's proper gory. Um, and yeah, I, it was it was the first thing I thought of when we when we started on this list.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I mean, uh, Dream Home actually made it on our list. Over on our Facebook and Twitter feed, we are having a 31 Yes, we're having a 31 uh, film countdown to Halloween. Uh, Dream Home actually came in on day four. Um, Sandwiched right between um, Bloody Muscle muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, um, while on the other side we had Our Point. So, uh, yeah, Dream Home is not to be confused with the Daniel Craig movie uh, of the same name. Um, obviously, Jim Home is... Yeah, it's certainly a unique film. Um, and certainly in the fact that it's an Asian slasher, um, I would say I don't tend to see too many come across. So, But no, great pick. Um, for myself, I'm going back and forth over my options at the minute. I'm going to go uh, pick another director that I'm absolutely obsessed with and that is Sion Sono with the film Coldfish Um, Coldfish is a film which I think I stumbled into a lot like Sion Sono it was one of his first films I saw without realising it was a Sion Sono movie the same as Love Exposure uh, Suicide Club and it's basically this film where this mild mannered guy who works in a fish shop Um, is find himself under pressure from his more upscale rival who basically run the shop. Like, if Hooters decided to get out of the bar game and get into the fish selling industry, they would make a fish shop like the one we see uh, him working in here. And it's really the story of this guy, and he's sort of drawn into this darker world of body disposal as he gets caught up in this string of ongoing murders that are being carried out by this... Rival tropical fish salesman and his wife. It's a film that is bloody, but yet at the same time very justified in its violence. And I just found this film absolutely fascinating. And I think if anything was responsible for my session session with Sonos films, I would say it with this film. Uh, even though obviously Sonos now gone on to be more known for the likes of Tokyo Tribe and Why Don't You Play in Hell, um, this still remains like one of those points where his films, like, really started getting really interesting and started just being more than just another Asian horror director. Um, between this and Love uh, Love Exposure, I would say, is really when he started getting really interesting as a director and something that he's only seems to have continued with the films which have followed as he's kind of picked up the mantle from Takashi um, in sort of, like, continuing that outlaw period style that uh, Miké used to, obviously, be more familiar with before he obviously went on to do sort of more more highbrow uh sort of cinema that he's doing now um but yeah Coldfish. uh anyone got any thoughts on that one or your fans it's on my radar but
2: i haven't i haven't watched it yet i uh i've heard it's very good
1: Uh, it's not my favorite seance i know um i would have gone with suicide circle probably as as the horror pick, but it's it's from a very strong period of work. Like you say, it's it's um it's part of like the trilogy with uh, Love Exposure and Guilty of Romance, two films which I love, and I always think it's the weakest of the three. <laughs> but you know, it's it's a bit like saying you know it's the weakest of brilliance. So it's it's still a it's still a fantastic pick.
0: Cool. Uh Zoe, where would you like to go next?
2: Okay, so. Going slightly newer, something that I watched not that long ago, actually, uh, that I really, really, really enjoyed was uh, The Wailing. Lots of people had, I heard lots of people talking about it. Again, it says on on the internet that it's not a horror film, but I think it is. As you said earlier, Stephen, if something disturbs you, then it's a horror film. So we're going to include it. Uh, So it's from Nah. Hong Jin. I can't pronounce anything. <laughs> and, Welcome
1: to the club. <laughs>
2: and, um, yeah, I mean, the storyline is, is kind of hard to wrap up, but basically there's, uh, a series of brutal murders in a, in a village and, um, one guy is suspected of doing it. He kind of came to the village not that long ago and it follows the police detective as he kind of tries to catch this, the supposed killer, um, of these brutal murders, um, which, you know, as time goes on, it kind of involves his daughter who you see he's very close with, um, what I really ad- enjoyed about the film was kind of the overall atmosphere of it. So this is obviously not not one that's on the extreme scale, but uh, how you said earlier, Stephen, how that a lot of Asian films often focus on kind of you know it, the feeling of it being very tense. I found this film so the the runtime is it's very long. I can't remember how one hundred and fifty six minutes is the runtime. So it's it's a long, long film. I watched it on a train journey. <clears throat> but the entire film kept me on edge. I felt very tense. I felt the atmosphere. It has there's lots of different elements to it and I think in a way it is kind of a slow burner because it runs for such a long time. Some of it's kind of slow. Uh, and it seems almost as nothing is really happening. But I think when you look at it on an overall whole, although nothing is really happening, lots of things are happening. And, you know, for for the protagonist, he's, he's you know, it starts at the beginning of the film and you kind of see his bond with his daughter is very close and it it builds up that kind of whole emotional state between him and his daughter and their loving relationship. And then it goes through, you know, this is, although it's his work, it's suddenly becoming part of his home life. And there's these brutal murders and there's this creepy guy involved, supposedly. uh, And a lot of people kind of, you know, there's hearsay, there's rumours. There's kind of, you know how you said earlier about... uh, how in the kind of Asian genre lots of uh, you know it's ghost stories which um, is a lot about their culture this plays into it you know they believe in they have a shaman there who tries to rid you know the the guy of the devil that's supposedly in him committing the murders etc but I think I think generally what I loved the most was how tense it was the whole time I just felt on edge um, and I really enjoyed it. For As I said, for the run time, usually after the, that amount of time, you're kind of like, "Yep, yeah, come on, it's uh, getting tiresome. But there wasn't a moment when I was tired of it. The, the entire film I felt was very tense and kept the atmosphere the
1: whole way through. That was my next pick. <laughs> <laughs> I am now hunting down to choose from my other my reserve list <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, <guess. laughs> I I couldn't agree more. It was Eastern Kicks film of the year last year so they all the contributors had a vote and it wasn't what I voted for but it was in my top 3. Um it, it, everything zoe says in spades it, it starts off as like a police procedural and then explores all sorts of different areas. It's unsettling. It's, it is scary. Um, it it also looks at things like Koreans, inherent racism to Japanese people. Um, it looks at shamanism. It looks at fakery in religion. Um, it, it, and it is, it's a long film, but God, I, I don't like anything longer than 90 minutes. And I stuck with it the whole way. And I was, I was seriously affected by it. um, Korean horror is, has had some very popular films. I've spoken about one, and I'm sure you know over the next few years, Elwood will speak about many, many more. But it had hit a bit of a rut. And this film has reinvented Korean horror for me because it has shown that it can be looked at with a completely different eye in a completely different way. And it, it just escapes all the normal tropes of, of, of Korean horror. It's a brilliant film.
0: Um, yeah, a film, I think, along with Train to Busan, this has been one that's really been in vogue recently, uh, certainly in the horror community, and of course I haven't seen it, um, so I will eventually get around to, uh, correcting that, much like seeing Train to Busan, which I've also not seen, so shame on me twice, um, we mentioned, you mentioned already about the genre hopping, and I find this is something that is very, that Asian cinema is more willing to do than Western cinema. Um, certainly when you look at like another example being like, Save the Green Planet, which starts off as kind of a light-hearted comedy and then goes into quite a di- dark psychological thriller. Um, I find that uh, more often than not, the Asian horror is more willing to jump jump around with genres in the same film than a western which would sort of define itself within those opening minutes what sort of film it's going to be and then sort of stick for it but uh no now i've had two people battling over the whaling i think it's time to boost it up the uh the watch list certainly
1: i mean korean cinema is especially fond of genre hopping not just in horror. But um, I mean, in in all sorts of films, a film can start off as one as as a police thriller and end up as a a girl with cancer story, okay. and and you think, how did I get there? And um, that, that, it, it happens all over Asia, but, but Korean cinema is particularly um particularly enjoys messing with you like that.
0: Cool, um, Stephen, where did you want to obviously go now that Zoe sunk your battleship? <laughs>
1: yeah I know, well it was going to happen although I thought you were going to do it to me, not Zoe but <laughs> um, okay it's fine because I had about 150 films to choose from so I'm going to go for one of the Whispering Corridor films but not the one people think I will go for, so the Whispering Corridor series are a bunch of Korean films that the only connection really is I think they're all produced by the same people but and they're all about school girls in all girls schools and they all kind of vary in their story um the the, the first film is is a is a pretty straightforward ghost horror in a in a school the second film's a bit more artsy um the third and fifth films do something else but the voice i think is, is fairly unique um so it's, it's whispering corridors for the voice um i like it because it's basically the story of a girl who gets killed and is a ghost but it's not one of those ones where you find out she's a ghost in the final act we know straight away and she has a ghost as trying to find out who killed her and we find out the story of her life around that it's it's got a sharp look to it, rather than some sort of the dreamy stuff going on. It eschews a lot of all the lesbian subtext of the other things. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just makes it a little bit unique. And it stars Kim Ok Bin, um, who is one of the one of the top modern um, uh, Korean actresses. And she'll currently be, so, so I think probably the other role people know her from is in Thirst, um, uh, Parks sort of um vampire film, sort of. Um, but she's the star in The Villainess, which is sort of doing great guns at the moment. But yeah, The Voice, Whispering Corridors 4. Again,
0: Whispering Corridors, another series I need to get into. So, thank you, Stephen, for obviously providing me a starting point. Though, I mean, is it best to watch them in order, or can you just watch them in any yeah. sort of order?
1: But there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no continuing story. They just sort of happen to have similar environs that they take place in. Um, they, they, but they are very different films. I think three and five are. Feel pretty sort of standard and they would probably be a good starting point point. Um, 4 is a bit of an outlier 1 one is good because it's the first um, and the second one is interesting but it's a bit more of an investment of time it's a bit more psychological than horror um, uh, a bit more artsy-fartsy but I like that
0: <laughs> cool Zoe um, so have you seen it or is it one for your yeah. list as well
2: i've i've heard of the i think it's is it the second one the memento
1: memento mori, mori yeah
2: purely because my the company the baby company i work for are called mori <laughs> <laughs> so i've heard of memento mori because uh when i search for mori on the internet for work it brings that up so that's the only reason why but um no i i was reading about it the other day as happens be so um yeah, I'll definitely give it. I mean, I like the cover. The cover looks pretty cool, so yeah, it will go, it will go on the radar.
1: Good.
0: Cool. Um, right for myself, I'm gonna go for another anime. Uh, this time is from 2000, and it is Blood: The Last Vampire. Um, Blood: The Last Vampire was put out by production produced by production IG, who also did anime sequences for the likes of Kill Bill as well as Lincoln Park. The story itself, it features this young uh, girl called Saya, who basically also has a sideline as a vampire hunter. Now, the film is set in 1966, and uh, the whole story takes place on the Yokoto Air Base, and it's surrounding it. You've got the build-up to the Vietnam War that's sort of running in the background. And she's basically been sent to this school, deposed uh, to, to the school girl, to hunt down these vampire-like creatures that are lurking within the school and they have the ability to take on human form so her method of disposal is of course a samurai sword the film itself only runs for 45 minutes so it's a real quick watch and to its detriment it does feel that it's all over and done with rather quickly Um, and it was kind of frustrating the fact that we basically had to wait for like years after so we actually got a spin-off series with Blood Plus uh, as well as it's a second series uh, called Blood Sea, and they ran for about 50 episodes and that was released in 2009 so a bit of a wait between the series and the film but The actual animation in this film is absolutely stunning as we go from the sort of traditional uh, hand-drawn sort of style that production idea become associated with, and we have other shots such as blood splattering across a hospital curtain that looks so realistic you would think that it's sort of live-action footage that's been inserted into this film, but... It's a film that sort of hits the ground running with her hunting down a supposed vampire on a subway train and sort of doesn't let up until the uh, end credits. Now, there is a live action version as well, which some people like myself really like and other people absolutely hate. Uh, but I would definitely say we check out the anime uh, at 45 minutes. It's hardly going to take up a huge amount of your time and uh it's certainly a nice light anime to get into that obviously avoids the usual sort of pitfalls uh that tend to be associated with anime as we've covered already but uh i mean for yourselves have anyone else seen this one because i know you're both not the biggest anime fans here so
1: i've seen the i've seen the hollywood live action with junji hyun that wouldn't make me a lover of it <laughs> <laughs> no actually i have i've seen it actually um yeah, it's a fun. Um, yeah, it's a it's a fun it's a fun anime um, with some nice visuals and uh sort, of, sort of you know what what's better than schoolgirls killing vampires, right? Yeah, <laughs> cool. Um, sorry,
0: I mean your final pick of the evening. Where would you like to uh, go?
2: Well, it can't be something normal, really can it uh you actually you mentioned this title earlier Stephen uh and I didn't I didn't say anything then because I thought I would I would leave it till now but my top pick is Ebola syndrome (laughs) which I don't feel like it should come as too much of a surprise by now um I love this movie. I think it's it's absolutely hilarious <laughs> and i don't I don't think it's meant to be, but there are some scenes, particularly at the end, that I cried with laughter at. So I decided that I would watch Ebola syndrome when um there was the whole you know kind of thing when Ebola was actually an issue. Uh, and that's, that's actually how I stumbled across it because I was in the process of, one, researching movies, two, I was looking up the Ebola and by happen of chance I kind of came across this film and I was like, you know what, what what kind of better time to watch it than now, um, yeah. as messed up as that may be. But I was like, you know, so it's from Herman Yao uh who you probably know for The Untold Story, another very messed up film. Um, and it features uh Anthony Wong, who has also been in many uh many Asian horror films, is known for kind of cat three, etc. Uh and Ebola syndrome is about, as they like to call it, a serial rapist. Um and he goes to Africa and he rapes someone and he contracts Ebola. He goes back uh, to Hong Kong, where he lives with his wife and his daughter. Uh, he runs a I'm not sure if he runs it or he works there. Um, anyway, he is at the restaurant and he starts infecting people with Ebola. And then feeding them in the form of burgers to other people, so that basically a kind of Ebola infection starts in their their town. Um, for me, like I said, much of it I found hilarious. I, th- I thought it was it's, it's very over the top. I mean, it's extremely over the top for both its sexual violence it's general violence, I mean, cannibalism, it's disgusting, there's lots of bodily fluids, uh, I mean, Anthony Wong's character is, he made me feel sick the entire way through, he's absolutely, he's hes disgusting, I mean, you know, as as you would expect from a rapist, but I think the whole... The whole fact that he's kind of diseased and wants to spread this disease amongst everyone by raping people and then killing them and then feeding them to other people. I think actually it was, although I watched Tumbling Dollar Flesh, this was probably an, one of the other films that for me disturbed me the most. I think uh, for quite a while I, I avoided eating burgers. I just couldn't get the thought out of my head of like diseases and people and all these nasty, nasty things going on. And I think as well, one of the one of the other things that disturbs me the most about this film is the fact that, you know, he he does this. He rapes women in the day and then he chops them up and he feeds them to his customers. They they say the food is amazing, you know. The, the restaurant starts pulling in lots of customers, and then he goes home to his wife and child as if ne- nothing ever happened. Um, and it, yeah, it, it really actually kind of those scenes really played on my mind a lot. It, I found them very, 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 very disturbing. Um, and then when I got to the end, I mean, the parts that made me laugh, he's he's kind of running, running around just spitting at people trying to infect them with Ebola and it's so it's I mean it's so ridiculous over the top that it it did make me laugh I just kind of you know I I imagined this happening in real life and I was like it's it's just chaos it's absolute chaos um but yeah so that's my last pick Ebola syndrome yeah
0: choosing a suitably classy note to go out on there Zoe (laughs) so thank you for that one (laughs)
1: um Well, I love the Ebola syndrome, right? That'll be a shock for you. I think, <laughs> I think, I think it's that—that's the kind of because it's so over the top. Yes. So, so, sometimes these, sort of, not so much from Hong Kong, but sort of the Japanese ones, I find are a bit po-faced and a bit overly serious, and I that—that that turns me off. But this is just a laugh. And what's even better, and this just sort of sums up Hong Kong cinema to me, I mean, Anthony Wong has gone from that and the untold story and things like that. He's he's actually a half cast, he's half English, half half Hong Kong, half Chinese. And he's risen to become an absolute giant of cinema. Not just in Hong Kong cinema, but actually he's he's been in some Western films as well. And I have a rule that if you add Anthony Wong to anything you make it instantly better. (laughs) <laughs> However, shit it is. So, <laughs> it, the way his career has gone from this—if if, you—if you put this in a Western context—and somebody made films like that, they wouldn't go on to win Oscars. Well, no. and Anthony Wong has done the equivalent, and even more than that, Herman Yao—you've mentioned two of his early films—is now one of the best. Directors in currently working in Hong Kong. He's risen above and beyond. He makes all sorts of films, and he makes them on a budget. And he makes really solid films across all sorts of genres. And this is just one of the things I love about Hong Kong cinema. I guess is that it's got this melting pot of weirdness, and out of it, people can rise and become mainstream as well. So you know, I don't expect you'll find many Western people. You you, you find you find the actresses, don't you? The Hollywood actresses that did one horror film back in the day, or something like that. But these, you know, this is filthy film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but,
2: no, you're completely right. Like, you know, in in Western cinema, if you did something on, on this scale, it would kind of almost stays with you and is like a, you know, like a black mark on your CV kind of thing. But yeah, when it comes,
1: stay to... in. You would stay in that exploitation cinema, wouldn't you? Yeah, that, like, you, you'd you'd we never go.
2: Be- from it whereas like you said with them they've you know it's it's fine that they did that and now now they're you know moving to mainstream bigger things and everyone's like yeah that's that's absolutely fine no worries
0: yeah um i want to disagree slightly and i want to say a western director who starts off in splatter and is now highly regarded as a very profitable mainstream i think zoe's got it already sam raimi sam raimi would be another good one i didn't have yeah. him
1: um
2: cool.
0: peter jackson
1: yeah that's very true
0: peter jackson did his trilogy of splatter he did bad taste he did meet the feebles and he did the absolutely divine uh brain dead or dead alive if you're in the states he then obviously goes off he does heavenly creatures he does the Frighteners. Then makes a little, no little scene trilogy of Lord of the Rings, and uh, does his fanboy version of King Kong, which I really like. And um, now I think everyone forgets. You know, he was the once this like golden boy splatter, and I mean he's really proud of those films. He keeps saying that he's going to re-release them. He's got all this footage and back uh, behind the scenes material he wants to release with them, but he just keeps getting drawn onto these big projects and never getting time to do it. So.
1: I will say though I, I agree with you, and Sam Raimi's another example of, of someone who's maybe yeah. managed to, to raise up. Jackson's less less Oscar worthy work was done in New Zealand rather than in <laughs> the Hollywood system. But uh, yeah, it it's it's still fairly rare. Um whereas you you go and have a look at Anthony Wong's Raped by an Angel Four and things like that that he's in, and then put put it put it back to some other stuff that he's in. I, yeah. Don't, I don't. Yeah, it, it, it's a far more common story in um, certainly in Hong Kong cinema. It might not be quite true around the arrest of Asia. I'm always
0: surprised when Anthony Wong shows up as a good guy in anything. I mean, when <laughs> Infernal Affairs comes out, and he's like the the undercover <laughs> agents, like um obviously he's reporting to us like what's anthony wong doing playing a good guy he's like you know, the, the sleazy bad guy and even if he's supposedly playing a good guy he's always like a dirty cop like we saw in like beast cops um it's very rare for him to just play an actual just genuinely good guy so, well uh... this
1: is this is one of the things he had to fight against because he was a half cast and has got quite European looks is that he was always cast as the bad guy and he's he's been quite a vocal fighter for for, to get rid of the institutional racism in Hong Kong cinema so yay Anthony Wong
0: (laughs) yeah definitely Um, right your pick now Stephen I believe
1: yeah so after Zoe's picked probably the classic of extreme cinema in asia i'm gonna go way back and i'm gonna go way back to 1965 and masaki kobayashi's kwaidan which is a a a collection of japanese ghost stories a portmanteau type film and I love this in horror this is one of the things I love about horror films is that you get these portmanteau films and it's not just in Asian cinema but in obviously in the, the British cinema and American cinema where where you'll get a collection of stories. So Zoe already talked about the Three Extremes collection where we get three of the greatest modern Asian directors making a small little um small little films to to give you one big package. Well Quiadan's done by one guy. It's um it adapts I'm going to say three and a half popular Japanese ghost stories. Um, And although as a package, it's a bit of a feast. Um, I'll see you 150 minutes for the wailing and I'll raise you 182 minutes for this one, (laughs) but you can watch all three and a half films separately if you want to. Um, The opening story, the black hair, that's where Sadako comes from guys Um, that's where the long haired ghost and and the Asian you'll see in a lot of Japanese and Korean films where hair seems to be very uh, a a signifier for ghostly and horrific events so remember we talked about XD last time the grandfather of Sadako of the Ring or XD all that is or the grandmother I suppose is the black hair Um, the other three and a half stories are all equally good um it, it's a classic for a reason the story behind it is even more fascinating it nearly brought down toho studios um but you know if you if, you, if we're going to go back go to a bit of classic let's go to kwaidan Go.
2: Cool. uh
0: yeah it's uh, unquestionably it's a classic i mean it's i think it's sort of fallen off the radar of some Uh, Asian horror viewers, uh, but certainly one still worth discovering as you said, I think it's responsible for so much within Asian horror Um, I mean Zoe, have you heard of this one?
2: No, I haven't Um, I just looked it up though because obviously, like you were saying there's the whole thing the hair is a, a really big thing in kind of like Asian horror supernatural films you know, even in, like, the in The Grudge, uh, I, maybe it's not as re- relevant, but, you know, when the hand comes out of her hair in the shower, um, you know, it kind of plays on the hair there. And I think there's another film called Hair Extensions or something ridiculous, like, yeah, so, so which what we... goes on with the hair. So, yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely have to watch this.
1: Yeah, um, you, you'll often find, just before something spooky's happening, the girl will find some hair in the sink plug hole, or something like that. And and so water and hair are the two big signifiers in Asian cinema of ghostly events coming on.
2: That's why I, I cut all my hair off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you see, now you mentioned hair in the plug hole, it just reminds me of my scummy old housemates. <laughs> well,
1: they were probably all ghosts, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was,
0: just not the fact that they were just pigs, so it's like, yeah, just what I need to deal with first thing in the morning is you and your lack of bathroom hygiene. Um Okay, um the last selection for myself, um it's gonna seem like a bit much sort of like a throwaway sort of film, but it's actually a film I really try to recommend whenever I get the chance. Uh that is the two thousand and eight South Korean horror film Death Bell. Now this is a film that's kind of like sore in a way in the fact that it's a group of students who are partaking in this elite class to prepare for a college exam and they find themselves being targeted by this serial killer who forces them to solve problems otherwise one of the group will die. And one of the things I love about Deathwell is the fact that it opens with this post-apocalyptic zombie sequence which has nothing to do with the rest of the film um, (laughs) and features some of the most creative kills I've seen in Asian horror in a long time. Uh, We have someone who suffocated to death with candle wax. Someone else is put into a washing machine which is actually on the back of the DVD case and when I was going through the films in Blockbuster was kind of what appealed to me to make me want to rent it because sometimes you only need to see one shot from a film to you know See that you know, this is something you want to check out, be it like the big bird coming behind the parachuting guy in the giant claw, or in this case, just someone inside a washing machine. I thought, well, you know, I've not seen that, and uh, I think I would give that a go. So it turned out that Bow has a lot more to offer than that, and uh, yeah, it's it's probably one of the more overlooked horror films, uh, especially within the realm of like Korean horror, uh, but it said. Uh, it's uh, it's certainly an enjoyable one, and certainly worth checking out.
1: Do you know? It's funny. I saw you picked it as number one in our thirty-one day countdown. I thought, I can't believe he's even heard of it because it is. It, it's a little gem. <laughs> it's. I'm a big fan of the lead. Well, sort of the lead actor, the the the, the guy. I think plays the main teacher. Um, I knew him from a Korean drama, and to see him in that role was quite of a disturbing. But it's yeah, it's it's like a. It's a bit of a Battle Royale kind of thing going on, isn't there? Um, but it's, it's it's a little underappreciated and underavailable gem.
0: Yeah. Um, Zoe, should I ask if you've seen this one? Or
2: No, I haven't seen this one, but you said it's similar to Battle Royale, and anything that's a hidden gem goes immediately on my to-watch list. Um, I mean, I've got many now from today, so... I'm very much looking forward to it.
0: (laughs) Um, You can, of course, find a full list of all the films mentioned on tonight's show uh, via our Letterboxd page on Letterboxd as well. You you find a list of every film we've covered on the show, including the further viewings as well. Uh, Links, of course, will be in the description section below. Uh, So there we have it. Uh, Obviously, our five picks each. Now, obviously... We between us, as we've obviously discovered as going on, we've had to eliminate films from our list that didn't make the top five. So let's just have a quick rundown of your also runs. I mean, uh, so I mean, is there any films that that you wanted to include that obviously didn't make that final list? Um,
2: so films that I wanted to include that I didn't include was Pulse. As we mentioned, it it is. As you said, Stephen, it's actually one of my all time favourite horror films ever. Uh, but I speak about it so much that I left that one out. Uh, on purely because it was one of it was it was the Asian horror film that first ever made me even know that <laughs> that Asian horror films existed. Obviously when I was young I was didn't know too much about cinema at all. Um then there was audition, but you mentioned that, so that was done. Uh, there was also the other the other two films from Three Extremes, which is Cut and Box, um, but I didn't I didn't love them as much as Dumpling, so I didn't I left those ones out. Uh, another great one is Suicide Club. Thought that was uh, very fucked up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then the other one that I was going to go for was probably. Uh, kind of the whole series but in particular one uh the guinea pig series uh in particular i love flowers of flesh and blood purely for the effects maybe not so much the storyline because that doesn't really exist um but guinea pig series is uh if if you're looking to get into the kind of more extreme side of uh asian cinema it's it's a great place to start and it's got it's got comedy it's got gore it's got weirdness it's got surreal it's got gross it's kind of got everything in there um so if you're ever looking to get into the more extreme side i'd definitely say give that a go to start see how you go with that
0: (laughs) yeah um yeah, yeah guinea pigs series is just there's some people who actually believe that it's an actual snuff film some of these they got a code of one yeah. of one of them and thought it was an actual snuff film um,
2: <laughs> oh and i also forgot to mention last night i for the first time took me a long time but i finally saw i saw the devil and that <laughs> was that was amazing
1: that's um, hilarious that's on my also ran list
2: <laughs> yes um and i also i i tried to get my Boyfriend to watch Itchy the Killer, but after we watched the trailer, he decided that one was not that was not what we were going to watch. So we settled on I Saw the Devil, but it was a good choice.
0: What your boyfriend didn't want to watch uh, the letters of the film being marked out in cum. No,
2: no, oh. he said uh, that was not not what he was <laughs> not feeling for a Wednesday night. So you know, oh. maybe next week, <laughs> maybe
0: you should show dead or alive also by uh, takashi miike the the opening 15 minutes alone is it makes that film worthwhile
2: i'll see if i can convince him yeah.
0: <laughs> Stephen uh also runs, where do you want
1: to include right deep breath <laughs> okay <laughs> if, you're gonna, if you're gonna link all these no um so obviously we talked about pulse um obviously both of Zoe and I missed a chance there to advertise that one. But also have a look at Kurosawa's Cure, which is a film he made just before Pulse, which is a film about a serial killer. Um, Talking of serial killers, I Saw the Devil is fucking brilliant and is the best serial killer film ever and is a good partner to the Vengeance trilogy in a way because that when you when you go for revenge, dig your own grave and all that. Um there's a Thai film called Ladderland, um, which is well worth hunting down, which is a ghost story with a social conscience. Um I talked about it before in one of our previous podcasts, Bedeviled, which is another great uh female based revenge, quite gory South Korean film. Um Ghost stories. Obviously, I talked a lot about ghost stories. One of the best is a film called *The Discarnates*, which is by Nobuhiko Obayashi, who's quite a famous director. Um, but it's a really touching ghost story. It's not it's not scary, but it's um it, it it's touching and it's about family and and lost lost potential. Um, we talked a little bit about what directors we go to for horror films, and I sort of kept my powder dry but I forgot about the Pang Brothers um, so most people think that they only really did the Eye which is a pretty classic horror film of of, of, a, of Asian or, sorry a pretty classic Asian horror film if I get my teeth in um, however they may suffer a bit from M. Night Shalomanitis in the sense that everyone thinks all their other films are no good but I'd seriously recommend um, In Love with the Dead and Abnormal, which is quite disturbing. Um, in the old black and white, there were better. There were films, horror films, before colour cinema came along. Do check out *Kuroneko* and *Oni Baba*, both Japanese uh, films that that show you that black and white can be bloody scary. And we have got to talk about *Houseu*, which is the most mental bonkers horror film musical. Weird experimental thing you'll ever see, and it's also fantastic. Yes.
0: <laughs> Just, of course, they're trying to write these all down as you reel them off. I mean, <laughs> you know they they've got like five hundred syllables to some of these things. So,
1: oh, I can, I can, I can, I can send you them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a list,
0: in a list. You know that box only searches so quick as I'm trying to. Do this. <laughs> Okay, um, right, just looking at what's obviously left, because uh, you both have scratched some things off the list. Uh, I'm going to start with Confession. Again, that's another really great thriller that runs right through to the end. Um, another favourite and I'm surprise it didn't actually come up, uh, which we've obviously talked about a little bit earlier in the episode, and that would be Dark Water by uh, Hido Nakata, um, his follow-up to Ring. And bar the how it ends. Um, I think it's an absolute solid ghost story all the way through. Um, I think if you enjoy the ring, then dark water is a perfect companion piece. Um, slightly lighter tack. It would be BioZombie, a film, which actually opens like you're watching a pirated video. Um, so it's shots. So you think they've actually filming it in the cinema. So you see p- tops of people's heads, um, and have what sounds like the people in the audience complaining about the film. Um, Bell Zombies is an absolutely fantastic Asian zombie movie, which I can't say there's a huge amount of, uh, which makes it only all the more special, but it's really funny, really violent, um, and worth checking out for that fact alone. Um, Tetsu, The Iron Man. um, Again, this is a really experimental film, but the fact it features a raging drill penis, um, as well as other Cronenberg-style bodily mutations, as... Uh, makes it just absolutely bonkers and wonderfully insane Um, the fact that it spawned two sequels as well um, is something of a surprise but the original I think if you like the original then you probably enjoyed the sequels as well Um, and uh, my final sort of pick for the evening of course would be Save the Green Planet um, a film which I think it falls in that grey area whether is it thriller is it a horror film Um, certainly for myself and certainly as it goes on it goes on it becomes more of a horror film and less of the light arty comedy that it starts off as but yeah say the Green Planet where we have this seemingly nice guy who believes that this head of this head of a big industry is actually an alien and sets out to prove his cause by kidnapping him and torturing him using his own twisted sort of logic um is a really underappreciated film and uh, definitely one still worth discovering now but um yeah those are obviously our picks you can find the full list including the also runs on Letterboxd, which uh we will put the link in the description below so uh make sure you go and check it out there and uh also check out our complete uh film list of films we have covered on the show today as well um I'd like to thank uh zoe obviously for coming on and showing her picks and shocking us perhaps with uh some of her taste
2: Thank you for letting me come on and scare people, as always.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if people want to obviously come and find your work and uh, see just how deep the rabbit hole goes, where's the best place to come and find you?
2: The best place to find me is, of course, Sobo with a Uh, You can also find me tweeting on Twitter about strange movies I've watched that I... Might have got, not got the time to fully review, seeing as I'm currently spending my life packing boxes at the moment. Um, or you can find me over at the Horacist, Hor- uh, currently slating many indie films that I've watched lately, which I feel awful about, but I've seen some awful, awful films, which I've completely slated, so if you're into that you can also find me over
0: there <laughs> nice nice uh steven if people obviously want to come and find your bits where can they still find you now
1: well i will start writing again for <sighs> guano ramblings.wordpress.com but i am pumping out some regular stuff still at easternkicks.com
0: awesome um as for myself uh as well as our site and sponsor that moment um where you can currently not only read my movie tourist series, uh, which recently looked at the monster islands from the Godzilla franchise, as well as pigsty alley from Kung Fu hustle. Uh, you can read my blog from the deputy held dot Also on Twitter, which is at Edward Jones um, again for the show, please uh, come follow us on Facebook or follow us now on Twitter, which is at AC film club. Uh, let us know uh, your favourite Asian horror movies or your thoughts on Asian Asian cinema in general Uh, the email is open as well which is acfilmclub at yahoo.com and uh, if you haven't done already please do uh, subscribe, leave us a rating on iTunes which uh, is under Asian Cinema Film Club or also on Podomatic as well we have got those independent feeds just for this show all up and running now Uh, so please go show us some support and uh, let us know what you think about the show but um, again, thank you to our special guest tonight, Zoe Rose-Smith from Zoboa Shotgun for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, thank you, of course, as always, to my partner in crime, uh, Mr. Stephen Palmer.
1: <laughs> thank you for having me and happy Halloween, everybody.
0: <laughs> and uh, this is Edward Jones, another edition of the Asian Cinema Phone Club. Uh, thank you again for listening.
2: 昨日のこと祈り忘れて昨日の i